Well, hello, church. Are you ready to head out into the uncharted? Uh, my name's Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest with us today, boy, you are in the right place. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome to FCC, and we'll hope you enjoy being a part of us today. We're talking in this series about what it means to follow God into the uncharted places. Uh, beyond the, the simple realities that we have all mapped out and figured out and into the places God wants to lead us where we don't know what's going to happen and we don't have it all mapped out. Uh, this, this idea is rooted in the biblical truth that in our lives, the decision to trust God often comes before the way is made clear or the destination is made known. In so many areas of life, it's the uncharted path that God wants to lead us on. Last week, uh, Laurel preached. She just did a magnificent job, and she talked about the uncharted path of grace and forgiveness. And it was a really good reminder to me that one of the most important ways we make clear the grace of God is when we, as God's church, are gracious to one another. And we don't know how it's going to turn out or what's going to happen when we forgive someone who might have done the unforgivable. It's the uncharted path, isn't it, to, to offer that kind of grace. But it's exactly the path that God leads us on. And over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to lots of people who have, who have said that they too have been led on uncharted paths. Somebody said, uh, the decision for me to, to, to stop uh, living together with my girlfriend, but instead to get married was an uncharted path. I was worried about what it would lead to, but I knew it was what God wanted for me. Somebody else said, uh, for me, it was a career change. I was in a job that kind of just wasn't connected to who I was called to be. And so I quit a good job to go get a new education and the whole thing fell uncharted, but I'm just sure God led me on that path. And I've loved hearing these stories because they show us that the journey into the uncharted is a normal part of how God leads us in life. That it shows us that it often is the case that the decision to trust God comes before the way is made clear or the destination is known. And man, for a lot of us, that is so different than how we're wired up. I'm sort of like this. You tell me where I'm going and when I'm going to get there and how I'm going to get there and how long it's going to take. You give me all the details and then I'll decide if I'll follow you and trust you. And often God says, no, we're going to do it the other way. And I need you to trust me, to decide to trust me before the way is made clear and before the destination is known. And today we're going to talk about another area of the Christian life where this uncharted aspect is always present. And that's the area of evangelism. And by evangelism, I just mean your decision to share the good news of the salvation we have in Christ Jesus with someone else. Maybe it's someone you already know. Maybe it's somebody you haven't met yet. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's somebody across the ocean. But whenever you want to follow God on the path of evangelism, it is always an uncharted path. Whenever we try to reach lost people with the good news that God loves them and saves them and cares for them, we always are deciding to trust God, even though we don't know 
exactly where it will take us or exactly how it will work out or exactly how long. Everything about the path is uncharted. And, and some of you who have tried to walk this path of Christian evangelism, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it, it turned out to be an uncharted, unpredictable path. On the flip side, some of us haven't walked this path. Some of us have resisted the evangelistic opportunities God has put in our lives precisely because it was an uncharted path. Because we were afraid, how will this turn out? Or how long will it take? Or what will happen? And when those questions weren't answered, we, we just couldn't quite bring ourselves to trust God that he might want us to be evangelists. But it turns out that evangelism has always been an uncharted path, one where you can't be sure how things will work out. The very first time Jesus sent his disciples out to announce the good news of a new kingdom where Christ is king is recorded in Luke chapter 10. And after he gives them the instructions, he says in verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town where you're not welcomed, we'll go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Even Jesus' own disciples, Jesus would not predict for them how their evangelistic efforts would work out. They would go into a town and proclaim the same gospel to people that God loved. And sometimes it would go great and they'd heal the sick and sometimes it would not go so great. They would not be welcomed and they would leave shaking the dust from their feet. And the uncharted nature of evangelism has never changed since. That's what makes it such a work of trust. Because when we decide to be evangelists, we never quite know what God is going to do and, and, and how they'll respond. That just hasn't changed. But some things have changed. There's some interesting research that's been done over the last couple of decades about the way people come to faith. Especially they've been looking at the way people come to faith here in this country over the last several decades, let's say the last 50 to 70 years. And some interesting observations have been made by these researchers. What they've noticed is that 50 to 70 years ago, one of the main ways people came to faith was through arguments and institutions. Now, by arguments, I don't mean fighting with each other, but I mean logical arguments and reasoned debate. 50 to 70 years ago, the great evangelists were people like C.S. Lewis, who offered logical arguments for the truth of Scripture and the reliability of God's Word and the truth of the resurrection. These apologetics uh, writings that kind of created a foundation on which we could offer a defense of the faith. At the same time that the arguments were effective, so were the institutions great rallies and evangelistic crusades, churches and revivals and preachers were kind of the center of Christian evangelism 50 to 70 years ago. But in recent decades, there's been a huge shift. Trust in these institutions has dropped. 
Trust in evangelists and preachers has dropped. Trust even in logical argument has dropped. Now, so the research shows, people who come to faith in Christ do so not usually because of an argument or an institution. Now, it's usually because of a relationship and an individual. And this means that in the present era, there is no such thing as an evangelistic church without evangelistic members. There is no church program or church plan or church institution that we can kind of put up there and put on that will accomplish the evangelistic work in our era unless the people of the church, one relationship at a time, one individual at a time, are sharing the good news that Christ is Lord and that salvation comes from our God. In the present era, this research shows that the role of the pastor and the apologist and the institution is to train the individual, to train you to be an evangelist. Because it is your commitment to evangelism that will make this and every church an evangelistic church. And no institution without that commitment can do it. So today, I want to talk to you about what it takes to walk the uncharted path of evangelism. The truth of this series is that God often wants to lead us into uncharted paths where we have to trust God before we know how everything will work out, before we know how long it will take, before we even know the exact destination we're headed, and evangelism is part of it. And to walk that path, it takes two things. It takes bravery and it takes love. Love is what sends you on the uncharted path to begin with. Love for those people that are far from God. You love them because God loves them. And bravery is what it takes to keep you on the path when times are hard. Nowhere is the importance of these two things, love and bravery, to keep us on the uncharted path of evangelism. Nowhere is it clearer than in the story from the Bible of the guy who is probably the second worst evangelist in history. The setting of our story is at a time when God's people are under the oppressive thumb of the nation of Assyria. Assyria was a cruel rival nation that used their great military might to terrorize the Israelites. And the capital of Assyria was the great pagan city of Nineveh. And it is to this great city, in the heart of the terrible Assyrian nation, that God sends the guy who is probably the second worst evangelist in history. We learn his story in the book that's named after him, the book of Jonah, which begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, in every Old Testament book, we remember the main character is God. 
and we mostly study the Old Testament by learning about the character and purposes of God. But in this book, the book of Jonah, we have a new twist. In addition to God, the main character, we have a villain. But the villain of this story is not the evil Ninevites. It's not the sailors on the boat to Tarshish. The villain is the prophet himself, Jonah. The first thing he does is run away from the uncharted path of evangelism and get on a boat and he knows exactly where it's going. Now you might wonder, why does he run away from the uncharted path God calls him to? Is it because he does not love or because he is not brave? Because those are the two ingredients evangelism takes. Evangelism takes love and bravery. In this case, both would make sense. It would be easy not to love the Ninevites, for uh, they are Assyrians, his mortal enemy. And it would easy, be easy not to be brave, because Nineveh was a powerful foe. To walk in there, it might get himself killed. For one reason or another, though, Jonah runs. He finds a ship headed in the opposite direction. In fact, any ship would be going in the opposite direction because you can't get to Nineveh by boat. And he goes peacefully to sleep in the bottom of the boat. We don't have to read too much farther, though, to discover that Jonah's problem is not bravery. In fact, this dude is super brave. A great storm comes, and he just sleeps through it. The sailors cower in fear, and he just keeps on sleeping. The captain comes and wakes him up, and Jonah handles the whole situation with amazing bravery. When the lot falls to him, he just admits it all. He's like, yep, I'm the problem. I'm the reason God's mad. If you throw me overboard, everything will be fine. This guy's got guts. So they do it. And he's right. Everything is fine. And then Jonah is swallowed by a fish. Chapter 2 tells us about the prayer he prays. It's the most powerful prayer. This guy clearly trusts in the power of God to save. This guy was brave and he had faith in his God. And finally, at the end of the prayer, he promises to do the very thing God told him to do in the beginning. He says in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say to them, salvation comes from the Lord. He says, I'll do what you told me. The, the, the people, the Ninevites, who, who work, cling to worship worthless idols, they have turned away from your love. But I will go to them and tell them salvation comes from the Lord. And so the fish spits him up onto the dry land. And in chapter 3, he does just what he promised. He walks into the enemy land and preaches to them that if they cling to worthless idols, they should prepare for destruction. But the good news is that salvation comes from the Lord. 
I told you this guy was brave. He just walks up and down the city. Now listen to the text. Verse 3 of chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a great city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by journeying for a day into the city, announcing for 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Uh, Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. He issues a royal proclamation requiring everyone to repent and give up their evil ways so that God might be gracious to them. And then in verse 10, Just like Jonah knew, salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So here we have this guy, Jonah, this brave missionary, this successful missionary leading to the repentance of thousands upon thousands. Why would I call this guy the second worst missionary, the second worst evangelist in history? Well, it's because of what we learn in chapter four. In chapter four, we learn the real reason Jonah ran away. It wasn't because he lacked the bravery to be an evangelist. As we already saw, this guy is crazy brave. It was because he lacked the love. Right after God forgives the people of Nineveh, we have this exchange, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to prevent by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he would rather die than live to see them forgiven. Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he would rather run away from God than be the one to share the good news with them. Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he would do almost anything rather than be the one who had to tell them that salvation comes from the Lord. He was willing to risk his own death at the bottom of the sea rather than be an evangelist to the Ninevites. You see, there are two reasons people refuse the uncharted path of evangelism. Sometimes we lack the bravery, and sometimes we lack the love. Because if you trust Christ enough to be brave, and you love your neighbor enough to care about them, you will become an evangelist. I'm talking to me right now. 
but I'm talking to you too. If you trust Christ enough to be brave and you love your neighbor enough to care about them, you will become an evangelist. Now, you may be wondering right now, if this guy hated the Ninevites so much that he wanted them to be destroyed rather than hear the good news of salvation, why would I call him the second worst evangelist ever, right? I mean, wouldn't that make him the worst evangelist ever? He hated them so much, he wanted them destroyed? Who could possibly be a worse evangelist than that? Well, the worst evangelist is the one who never goes, the one who never tells, the one who never shows up and says, when you cling to worthless idols, you're headed for destruction, but salvation comes from the Lord. The one who never speaks and never shares, never tells a word of the good news to those God loves. Listen, I know that it took a storm and a fish and a near-death experience, and I know that he never really dealt with the bitterness of his heart, and I know that he never really learned to love them even while he preached to them. Yeah, Jonah was a bad missionary, a bad evangelist, but at least Jonah went there. At least Jonah opened his mouth. At least Jonah shared the good news. What I want you to hear today is that God often wants to take us on an uncharted path. And this path, the uncharted path of evangelism, the one where we don't know exactly how it will work out and don't know exactly what God will do and don't know exactly how long it will take, the one where the way is not made clear and the destination is not made known, God wants to take you on this path path. You don't know what God will do with your evangelistic efforts. You don't know if your words will fall on deaf ears or if they will be, be, be accepted like the gospel that they are. But we do know that when we love people like God loves them and we are brave because we trust God, God will take us on the uncharted journey of evangelism. Some of you have figured out, you've heard already, that we are almost exactly one year away from our 150th anniversary as a church. We got a big celebration planned all throughout the year, but it will culminate on November 12th of next year, our huge celebration of our 150th anniversary as a church. And what you need to know is that God has proven faithful to this church for 150 years every time we have walked the uncharted path of evangelism. You see, from the perspective of history, we know that all these things worked out, but they didn't know it. In 1921, when this church decided to walk an uncharted path, they were going to raise enough money and send out enough members to plant five churches in five years. They made that decision in 1921. They made the decision that this local church would intentionally shrink so that the church in our region could intentionally grow. This was a brave decision, and they could only do it because they trusted God. And it was a decision motivated by love, love for the people of their community. They loved them because God loved them. And this was an uncharted territory. Nobody knew it would work. And here we stand a hundred years later, and although there's been one merger, four churches exist today because of that uncharted path. 
Or, or you could think about the uncharted path that this church took in 1961. Just 10 years after building an amazing new sanctuary downtown, visionary leaders began to recognize they needed to prepare for a move uptown. It took them 10 years to pull it off, but they began the work in the early 60s of relocating the congregation, expanding the sanctuary, building new ministries, and expanding to new property. Why did they do that? Because they thought there was an evangelistic opportunity. This was the uncharted path of evangel evangelism. They walked this deeply uncharted path. Nobody knew if it was going to work. In fact, many people said it wouldn't work because they were motivated by love for the lost and they were brave enough to trust that God would see them through it. This is our story. This is your heritage, a church that trusted in the uncharted path of reaching lost people. Or I, I think about the decision this church made in the late 80s and early 90s to send out Kay Carpenter. She was born Kay Carmichael, grew up right here in this church. We sent her out to be a full-time missionary to Mexico. And this church rallied to support her, to become her sending church, her major place of support. Why did we do that? Well, because we loved the people that God loved, even though we'd never met them. And we were brave enough to trust this young couple with ministry. But remember, when we started on that path, it was all uncharted territory. Nobody knew then all the amazing work that the carpenters would be doing for the last 30 some odd years. We didn't know what God was going to do through them. It was all unmapped, uncharted territory. But we walked the path of evangelism because we loved the people God loves and we were brave enough to trust God. And when you read about these stories in our history, all these decisions, they look clear and wise and obvious. But at the time, they weren't obvious. At the time, like every other evangelistic work, they were uncharted. This is still true of our church. We are still trying to chase uncharted paths to reach lost people for the name of Jesus. We're, we're doing it this Christmas. Finally, after weeks of waiting, I get to tell you about Christmas Eve, okay? We are walking an uncharted path. We're going to try something we haven't tried before. Why are we going to do that? Well, because we love the people that God loves, and we're brave enough to go somewhere we haven't been to try to reach them. We believe profoundly that Christmas Eve, year after year, gives, gives God's church a powerful opportunity for evangelism. People are kind of listening and paying attention to the things of God, to the spiritual call on their life in a way they might not in other seasons. And so every year at Christmas, we, we challenge one another. Who does God want you to love because God loves them? And what would it look like for you to enter that opportunity bravely? And one of the major tools we've used for the past several years for that is our Christmas Eve service. And we've said, we're going to have a whole bunch of services and we're going to pack the room, invite as many people as you can to come for this amazing Christmas Eve service. And, and frequently, we've had more than 2,000 people come for our Christmas Eve services. Well, that strategy won't work given our COVID restrictions right now. But the opportunity is still there. The opportunity for evangelism is still there. So we've just been praying, God, would you show us an uncharted path? a new opportunity so that we can still reach out to just as many people on our, through our Christmas Eve services and just trust you for the impact, not knowing what's going to happen. 
So here's what we're gonna try this Christmas Eve. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know what stories we'll get to tell about it, but I know we're doing it because we love God and we're brave enough to trust that he could do something with even our feeble efforts. We've got planned an outdoor Christmas Eve experience. From top to bottom, it will be carefully designed to be COVID safe so everybody you know can participate, regardless of whether they're super worried about the virus or not very worried about the virus. It's also from top to bottom gonna be tons of fun. So kids will have a good time and old folks will have a good time. People that love Jesus already will have a good time and people that aren't so sure about Jesus will have a good time. There'll be carols and crafts and food and lights. Uh, there'll be contemporary music. There'll be old favorites. There'll be kids' performances. And then throughout the evening, at set intervals, the whole experience will pause while we all participate in kind of a short version of our traditional Christmas Eve service with carols, the proclamation of the gospel, we'll light candles, we'll sing Silent Night, we'll proclaim joy to the world. It's gonna be an amazing event. Now, this is, for us, uncharted territory. We haven't done it before, but it's motivated by the same thing that always motivates evangelism. Our love for lost people and our trust that God will see us through. We have a great legacy at this church of trying uncharted things and seeing God be faithful to produce evangelistic fruit. And we just trust that God's gonna do it all over again with this. I hope that you are super excited about our Christmas Eve plans. We believe that we will have the capacity because of this change plans to still accommodate thousands of people but in a COVID safe way. So be ready to pay attention to the schedule and figure out when you're gonna invite your friends to participate in the outdoor Christmas Eve experience. Don't worry, for those of you that are already asking questions, do we have a backup plan in case it rains? Yes, we do. Are we prepared for cold weather and warm weather? Yes, we are. But we really think this increased flexibility is gonna allow us to stay focused on the evangelistic mandate that we have for Christmas Eve. But all that stuff about the local church and this church having been evangelistic and continuing to be evangelistic, none of that matters unless you and I, the members of this church, are committed to evangelism. Unless you and I are committed to do what God calls us to, to trust that God wants to lead you into an uncharted path. And I can't tell you how it was going. Even Jesus, when he sent his own disciples out as evangelists, could not predict in advance, or did not predict in advance rather for them, whether it was going to go great or be a disaster. This is an uncharted path. To follow God on the uncharted path of evangelism, you will need to be brave. For that, you will need to trust that God will protect you. And you will also need to love. You will need to love others because God has loved you and because God loves everyone. Who does God need you to love right now? Do you know the answer to that question? For Jonah, it was his mortal enemies that God required Jonah to love. Who does God need you to love? Is it your neighbor? Is it your second cousin? Is it your coworker? 
Is God calling you uh, like, like God called Kay Carmichael to overseas ministry and God's saying, go love somebody across the ocean you've never met, but go and love them in my name? Who is it that is far from God, but not far from God's love? They're far from God, but they're close to you. And so you could be the one who tells them how much God loves you. I know that evangelism always takes us into uncharted territory. I know that God does not promise that it will work out. And that's why just loving those God loves is never enough to make you an evangelist. A lot of us are, are twiddling our thumbs and we're like, yes, oh, I love all people. But we haven't mustered up the bravery to go and actually love them. Remember, Jonah never really loved the Ninevites, which made him the second worst evangelist in history. The only thing worse than that is the person who never goes at all, who says they love other people, but doesn't actually tell them the good news. How did Jonah put it? That those who worship idols are headed for destruction, but that salvation comes from the Lord. Do you know people who need to know that salvation comes from the Lord? Would you walk the uncharted path to tell them? I know that today, God wants you to be an evangelist. To love those God loves and then be brave enough to tell them the good news. I know that God wants this for you because God wants you to be like Jesus. And this is what Jesus did. Each week, the center of our worship is the meal of communion. It's the meal where we remember Christ's death and resurrection. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. And because he was brave enough to do what love required. He wanted you to know. He wanted to accomplish the truth and announce it to all people that salvation comes from the Lord through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of this, his birth his ministry, his sacrifice on a cross was so that you and all people would know that God is not content for us to be far from God, but rather God desires that all would be saved for salvation comes from the Lord and it comes to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Today, as you share in the bread and the cup, I want to invite you to pray a risky prayer. Would you just ask God, God, who do you need me to love by telling them the gospel? God, who is it that is far from you and does not yet know you, God, and is not trusting in you, and you're calling me to go and love them? Pray that prayer. Ask God to give you a name. And then you pray, God, would you make me brave like Jesus? Brave enough to tell the people that you love and I love that salvation has come from the Lord, has come through the death and resurrection of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this meal that reminds us that the good news has come to us.
The good news has come in the person of Jesus Christ who loved us as God loved us and was brave enough to carry out that love through his ministry and his death and his resurrection from the dead. And now as we share in this meal, would we be grateful for how you have saved us and would we accept the call on our lives that we might be evangelists to others, loving those you have called us to love and brave enough to share with them the good news that is still true, just as true as it was for the Ninevites, is still true today for all creation, that salvation belongs to the Lord. May we be your evangelists announcing this good news. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who brought this salvation to us. Amen.